you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to get right into tonight's teaching. Know why you believe. 1 Peter 3.15. Peter writes this and he says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. He says this, he says, yet do it with gentleness and with respect. Let's bow our heads this evening. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, Lord God, take over, Lord God, this evening, Father, and that your words would be spoken through my life, Father. Help us, Lord God, not only to be hearers, but doers of your word. And in obedience, we will see blessings. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for you are so faithful to us. We thank you for your love and for salvation. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen and amen. How many of you are ready to learn tonight? All right, hopefully you came ready to learn. I read this story, and it says, it's talking about uh, Jonathan Whitfield and how he was preaching to coal miners in England. He asked this one man, he says, what do you believe Well, the man says, I believe the same as the church. And what does the church believe? Well, they believe the same as me. Seeing he was getting nowhere, Whitfield said, and what is it that you both believe? Well, I suppose the same thing. (laughs) You see, although there may be humor in this story, This can be our life many times. When someone asks you, hey, what do you believe? Well, well, I I believe what the church believes. How many of us can, can find ourselves getting stumped when asked questions in regards to our or your beliefs, in regards to foundational truths from God's word? Peter says to be, to be ready to answer these questions, to be ready with the response, but to reply with gentleness and with respect, not in anger, not trying to start an argument, but to shed some light and to share God's love through his word. How many know that God's word is filled with his love? It is. Have you ever read the Bible? You would know that his word is filled with his love. My goodness, it has given us an opportunity to be in right standing with him. We are able to see so many lives that we can learn from, the goods and the bads. We're able, to, we're able to gain wisdom through the stories in the Bible. See, this month we're going to be discussing some foundational truths according to the word of God. Tonight, as we begin this series, I entitled this message, 
Uh, the authenticity of the Bible. The authenticity of the Bible. I remember one of my coworkers retiring a few years ago. He moved to Utah. And I called him shortly after just to see how he was doing and how things were. And, and I remember him telling me this. This is the first thing he said. He said, man, there is no good Mexican food out here. <laughs> and it got me thinking, it really got me thinking, like, wow, like, you really, you don't, you don't realize what you have until you don't have it, right? You don't realize how good you have it until you go elsewhere to a place where that doesn't exist. I can't imagine life without some good, authentic Mexican food. And this is what he was telling me. What he was saying is that, look, over in Utah, there is no authentic Mexican food. You know, I picture him, you know, you know going to like Taco Bell. That is not authentic Mexican food, right? If you, if you have a hunger for that, you know, you're never going to think, you know what? Uh, I want some authentic Mexican food. Let's go to Taco Bell after service. No one ever says that. You know, if you want authentic Chinese food, you never say, let's go to Panda Express. <laughs> if you want authentic Italian food, you don't say, let's go to Olive Garden. Now, some of you are like taking offense to that. Now, I like Olive Garden too. But I have, I have friends, uh, that, that they are uh, an Italian couple, and they would take offense, I know for sure, if I said that Olive Garden was authentic. So I'm basing it off of that. <laughs> but I think of authentic. When it comes to authenticity, many of us are aware of knockoffs out there. Many of us have purchased knockoffs. Maybe you knew, maybe you didn't. You know, but when that, when that Rolex was 150 bucks, you knew it was a fake. You know, usually the knockoffs will be spelled incorrectly. Usually uh, you can tell immediately by the quality. It won't last. Those, those uh, uh, maybe those, um, what's a good brand out there? I don't even know what's a good brand of clothes. I don't know, Gucci? I don't know. Maybe that Gucci shirt you bought, you know, ripped after one time in the washer. And you're like, what's, what's going on? It's supposed to be good quality. You got a knockoff. See, buying knockoffs can be disappointing can't they? Man, I, I thought it was the real thing. If you really honestly thought it was the real thing, you can be disappointed. Man, I felt like I, I got scammed. See, and although we may be disappointed in purchasing items that were knockoffs, trusting in a, trusting in a false savior would be way more than just disappointing it would be devastating. 
it would be disastrous. The cost would be overwhelming. So how can you and I know that the Bible and its words are authentic? How do you and I know? How are we able to come to this conclusion in our lives? Because there may be some out here tonight. Maybe you're watching tonight. And maybe you can't really defend the authenticity of the Bible to anyone. If someone were to, to, to ask you the question of how do you know the Bible is real, what is going to be your response? Because my pastor said so. <laughs> That's not going to carry much weight. Well, because I was told that since I was a child. That's not going to carry much weight. See, God has given his, us his word, amen, for us to defend our faith. We are to be able to defend our faith. God has given us every resource to do so. So what is the evidence for inspiration, God's word. Number one is that the Bible has been preserved and is indestructible. What do I mean by that? The Bible has been burned, the Bible has been banned, and the Bible has been banished throughout the centuries. Throughout mankind, Man has tried to get rid of the Bible. Let me give you some examples here. In the year 303 AD, the Roman emperor, Diocletian, ordered that all Bibles be destroyed. But little did he know that only 20 years later, Emperor Constantine offered a reward for any remaining Bibles. And within just 24 hours, 50 complete copies were brought to him. You see, the Bible can't be, it can't be destroyed. You can't get rid of it. It is indestructible. In the late 1920s, Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin sought to establish a completely godless state. And in doing so, he also ordered that all Bibles be purged from the Soviet Union. However, in the 1980s, a poll was taken showing that a greater percentage of Soviet citizens than ever believed that the word of God was real. See, it doesn't matter what man tries to do. Man is not going to be successful in getting rid of God's word. It's not going to happen. Because God's word is indestructible, church. Man may try, and man has, but man will never succeed in doing that. I will stand here tonight to tell you that man will never have victory over God. Never. 
Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Isaiah writes this in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. He says, The word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. Nothing is going to destroy it. Nothing is going to tear it down. Nothing is going to take its place. It will stand forever. See, when it comes to evidence and preservation, no other book in history, let me say, before printing presses, have had more manuscripts discovered than the Bible. What is a manuscript? A manuscript is a handwritten copy. And this is how we prove that these books are actually true is by these manuscripts. And from the, for the New Testament, over 25,000 manuscripts have been discovered. And let me give you a little example of how much that really is. Put that into perspective. The second book in manuscript authority in all of history is the Iliad by Homer. That's where the movie Troy comes from with Brad Pitt. That's where that comes from. This book has only 2,000 manuscripts discovered. That's still a lot. But in comparison to the Bible, there is no comparison. Over 25,000 manuscripts have been discovered. One scholar, Hans von Kampenhausen, said this. He said, the New Testament meets all the demands of historical reliability that could possibly be made that could possibly be made of such a text. He says, if the New Testament were any other book, its authenticity would be regarded beyond all doubt. F.F. F. Bruce, a renowned scholar from England, stated this, and he says, the evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of other classical authors. And he says this, the authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. And he says these words once again, as the other, as the other scholar says, he says, if the New Testament had been a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. You see, what is it about the Bible? What is, it, what is it about God's word that man tries to get rid of? As these scholars both say, if this was any other writing, no one, no one would ever say that it was false based upon all the discoveries based upon all the facts. I didn't say 
assumptions. I didn't say, uh, well, you know, just because so-and-so said, based upon facts, based upon evidence, if it was any other book, no one would dare say that it was false. But why does man come against the Bible so intently? Why is it that there is such an attack against the Bible? Think about it. Think about it. Why doesn't any other book get that kind of attention? Because there is a strategy of the enemy. The enemy does not want you to know the truth. The enemy does not want you to tap into the power of God. The enemy doesn't want you to really, really believe that God's word is actually true. And so he's going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that that seed of doubt is planted in your mind. But there's too many, there's too much evidence. There's too many facts to prove that God's word is actually his words. We look secondly here at the harmony in the Bible. The likeness of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The consistency of essential facts that each writer wrote down. This provides the credibility of the writer's writings. Why? Because these records were rooted, were rooted in eyewitness testimony. Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke recorded eyewitness accounts. Luke 1.3, Luke writes this and he says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So why is this important? Why is it so important that everyone says the same thing? Well, because if it was a lie, somebody would have came against them. If it wasn't the truth, it was, it was, it was during the time that, you know, many of them were alive during the time that Jesus was alive and, and, and doing his ministry, that there would have been individuals that said, you know what, you're writing, you're writing false statements. That never took place. But we see the likeness of all four of those Gospels. How each, how each man came to the same conclusion through eyewitness accounts, through eyewitness testimony. They all had, they all seen, seen or heard the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. Paul says these words and he says, I passed on to you what was important and what had also been passed on to me. He says, Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures say, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said. Paul says he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. 
After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. This is after he rose from the dead. Most of whom, Paul says, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul once again is also giving his account of what took place, that this is in fact actually true. See, the Bible, we have to understand that the Bible proves true. We don't just say it's true just because we were brought up that way or because we're in church. But I stand before you tonight to say that the Bible proves true. See, there's a big difference there. Because now what I'm doing is I'm about to give evidence in regards to why I believe that. Why you should believe that. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 30, verse 5. And he reiterates these exact words, and he says, every word of God proves true. You see, the Christian faith is only as certain as the Bible is trustworthy. Did you get that? The Christian faith is only as certain as the Bible is trustworthy. See, you can trust in his word to be true because he has proven himself to be true. He does this in our lives. David writes this in his, in his older years that many of us can also agree to. And David writes, in all my life, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. He says, in all my life. And you can say the same thing. I know you can. I can say the same thing. God's word has been proving true in my life. See, it's one thing just to be told something is true and then to go on with life and to live with, with trying to believe just because you've been told but there's a difference when you actually experience it for yourself. It makes all the difference. See, because when you have a personal experience like Paul did when he met the risen Christ, when you have that personal encounter, no one can change your mind. No one can change your mind. No one can tell you that your life is in order today. Your, your life is where it's at today because, because, uh, you know, you have a, because you got a better job. Because you married so-and-so. Because you had X amount of kids. Because you have so much money. Because you have this car. Because you have this house. That's why your life is good. 
No, we know. We know that our life is the way it is today because of Jesus Christ. We know that for certain. And no one can, no one can change our minds about it. Why? Because we had a personal experience. And this is how God wants us to be about his word. He wants you to be certain that his word is true. Without any doubt, without questioning. Why? Because even just reading his word, you have personal experiences take place in your life. I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm sure there's many here who have been in that valley of depression. And when you read God's word, oh man, God's word brought peace and comfort into your life. God's word brought joy. It brought joy. It took you out of that valley low. And it gave you life. You know God's word is real. Psalm 119.93 says exactly that. God's word gives life. This is what you and I have come to know in our own lives. God's word gave us life. Why? Because he knows exactly what we need. His word has everything that we need. It contains every vitamin and nutrient that you will ever need in your life. It will sustain you. Not only will it sustain you, amen, but it is, it is going to give you eternal life with God the Father if you obey it. It's, not, it's nice to have Bibles in your home, but if they're just in your home collecting dust, then they serve no purpose. We need to open God's word and read it and follow it. And we're going to see, we're going to see God's word uh, uh, take root in our lives and we're going to bear fruit. See, God's word has proven true in our lives over and over again. Why? Because his words are the ultimate standard of truth. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Jesus prays to the Father. He says these words, he says, sanctify them, Lord. Sanctify them, Father, in the truth. Jesus says, your word is truth. See, what's interesting here was that Jesus, in the way he used this word, he did not use the word true uh, as an adjective, you know, saying, saying that, that, you know, your word is true. Instead, Jesus uses a noun. He says, your word is truth. He says, your word is not only true, but it is truth itself. Did you get that? Jesus is not telling God, your word is true. I believe your word, it's true. He's saying, no, your word is truth itself. It is truth. It's kind of like saying God 
is love. God doesn't just love, he is love. There's a difference there. When you say God is so full of love, of course he is, because that's where love comes from. (laughs) So we need to understand what Jesus is saying here, because that difference is very significant. See, the Bible does not conform to some higher standard of truth. And this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying that it is the standard of truth. It is that reference point. It is that word that everything else needs to measure itself against. What do I mean by that? Let me put things into better perspective for you today. How many of you have ever used measuring tape before? Raise your hand if you've ever used measuring tape before. I think everyone, right? How many of you, when you pulled out that measuring tape, did you pull a ruler out to make sure that that measuring tape is accurate? Have any of you done that before? You know what? I, I'm not sure if this thing is right on, so let me, let me use this to make sure that my measuring tape is on point. No. Why? Because that measuring tape is the standard of truth. Now you're measuring everything else against that measuring tape to see if it lines up. It's the same thing with God's word. You see, God's word is truth itself. And everything else, everything else needs to measure itself against the word of God. It is the standard of truth. That's why when the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because each and every one of us we'll have to measure ourselves against the word of God. Every human being living today that has, that has passed away, that is, that is still to come, every, every individual will have to measure themselves against the word of God. Everybody. No one is exempt So what then is truth? Well, truth is what God says, plain and simple. And we have what God says in our Bibles. Lastly here is that with knowledge, we can destroy doubt. See, the strategy of the enemy is to get us to doubt. To doubt God to doubt his nature. The enemy would tell us, is God really faithful? Hmm. Does God really love you right now? Did God really forgive you? Are you really born again? Is God's protection real? Is God's provision real? 
Is the power of God real? And the enemy will try to get us to doubt God and try to doubt his goodness and his faithfulness and his love. And he tries to plant these seeds in our lives. And we know that the doubt will lead to unbelief. See, but we need to let Jesus Christ be our example and also be our leader when it comes to confronting the lies of the enemy. Because what did Jesus do? He used the word of God. When the enemy tried to, tried to trip Jesus up, Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 lying devil. This is what the word of God says. This is what my father says. I know what my father says. I was with him. You can't tell me that something is that something is different than what God, my father, said it is. Because I know him. I know him. You can't tell me otherwise, and so Jesus used the word of God against him. And this is what God seeks for us to do. God seeks for us to use the word of God against the lies, uh, against the lies of the enemy. Against the attacks against our mind that try, to, that try to, to, to sow seeds of doubt. Is it really what God said? It's the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. He planted those seeds of doubt into their mind. Matthew 7, 24 says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, Jesus says. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. You see, if your foundation is built upon Jesus Christ, on that solid rock, it doesn't matter if everything seems to be falling apart all around you. Amen? You're going to have a firm foundation in your life because your life is built on the rock. Amen? Not on just a solid rock, but on the rock. The rock of all rocks. That's what you and I have, have chosen to build our lives upon. And we're going to be blessed for it. Because when those storms do come in our lives, and they do come, you're probably in one right now. When you find yourself in the middle of that storm, amen, you can, you can rest assured, you can have peace. Thank you, Jesus. You can have peace, amen, that God, that God has you secure. God has you safe, amen. God is holding you, amen. He is protecting you. And nothing, nothing can take you away from the powerful grasp of God Almighty. You see, we need to equip ourselves with the knowledge of God's word. See, knowledge of scripture is knowledge of Christ, and ignorance of scripture is ignorance of him. The writer of Psalm 119.18 writes this, he says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. We need to pray this. Psalm 119, verse 18, this needs to be our prayer. Before you start to read your Bible, you need to, you need to quote this verse. 
open my eyes. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes, God, that I would see all the wonderful things in your word, that they would just come out at me, that my eyes would be open to see and understand. Ask God for understanding before you get, to, before you get into your Bible reading. Ask him for understanding. See what he does. You see, in knowing the authenticity of God's word, we can have confidence in telling others about Christ. American evangelist Mordecai Ham said these words. He said this. He said, no option, no alibi, no excuses. He says, every Christian has an obligation to a lost world. No excuses. Every Christian has this, 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 same, this same obligation to tell someone about Christ. You see, Ham taught these principles and these words to a young man. He taught this young man these core principles, the core truths of salvation through Jesus Christ. That young man just happened to be Billy Graham. You see, church, one person, one person standing on God's truth can make a difference. One person can make a difference when you stand on the Word of God. You and I need to stand on the word of God. You and I need to build our foundations on the word of God. You and I need to, need to engulf ourselves in the word of God. We need to study it. We need to, we need to digest it. Digest the word of God in your life. Just like you eat food, eat the word of God. Why? Because your spirit needs it. We have no problem feeding the flesh. But what are we doing for the spirits? We need God's word. God's word that has been proven true and is there for us to gain life. As every head is bowed, every eye closed. Uh, closed.